You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is highlights from our weekly service. Good evening. Welcome. Welcome to Northern Lights MCC. We are part of a global denomination who celebrate the inclusive Christian message that the love of God is for everyone. You're very welcome if this is your first time. If you're a regular, perhaps you're just joining us online or catching up on the podcast. Welcome. Let's take a moment to still ourselves in front of God. Amen. This Sunday, we are continuing our theme of celebrating Black History Month here in the UK. Last week, we considered the importance of creating space where we can be our whole selves and making changes to welcome others in their own whole selves too. Tonight, Judith reflects on the Good Samaritan and how we are all equal under God. Let us pray. Loving God, Open our hearts to the spirit that we might, with your help, discern the meaning of the gospel and carry this out into the world. Amen. This evening we'll hear the voices of Emma and Abby for our readings, Judith for our sermon and Morgan leading us in prayer. A reading from the very Reverend Desmond Tutu, followed by a quote from his daughter for Tutu Van Forth. Desmond Tutu was the first black archbishop of Cape Town and a leader in the anti-apartheid movement, along with Nelson Mandela. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his dedication to the removal of apartheid from South Africa. He was the leader to the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, which tried to bring together both perpetrators and victims of the apartheid movement to exploit pathways towards understanding and forgiveness without jeopardizing the newfound peace. He is now 88 years old and retired from active service, but is still regarded as the moral conscience of South Africa. He has made clear that racism is the ultimate blasphemy because it could make a child of God doubt that he or she was a child of God. He said, enabling the spirit of forgiveness was Umbutu, which is an ancient Southern African belief. Umbutu holds that individuals exist only in relationship with the other living beings. I am because we are. It is our responsibilities as relatives to take care of one another. Umbutu speaks about how we need each other. God quite deliberately. He made us being that are incomplete without the other. No one is self-sufficient. For two to Van Forth is Desmond Tutu's daughter and ordained within the South African Anglican Church. She was obliged to withdraw from her ministry when she fell in love with and married another woman. She says, Umbutu recognizes in the most profound way that we are interdependent and that any action that I perpetrate against you has consequences for me 
and for my life. And so, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And do not do unto others as you would not have them do unto you. Is a more Western expression of the concept Umbutu. Umbutu, what you do to me lives on in you. The words of our brother Desmond and our sister Full. Thank you. A reading of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But when a Samaritan, while travelling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found pleasing in your sight, O God. Amen. Perhaps I shouldn't be standing here talking to you about black history because I am a middle-class white woman of a certain age and although I have experienced severe discrimination in my life due to being a little girl brought up in the 1940s and 50s, this never involved violence directed towards me for being what I couldn't help being, a girl and then a woman. Nor would I have 
uh, chosen to be anything other than I was or am. But many of my black siblings have had other and much more dire experiences. But let me tell you a story. In 1964, I lived in a bed sitting room in Bayswater in London. I was entertaining a visitor, another woman, and we went for a walk around Kensington Garden Square. As we passed a couple going the other way, my visitor gasped, grabbed my arm, turned round to stare and said, Did you see that? What? I said. That? She said. What? I said. That black man with the white woman. Well, what's wrong with that? It's not right, she said. And that was my first real brush close up close and personal that I had with racism or should I say race fear but when I thought about it it did make some kind of sense I was used to living in a multiracial environment in London she had never in her life met or talked to a person of colour because she had always lived in areas comprised almost totally of white people the only black people in her life were those appearing on the black and white minstrel show, which had started in 1958, in which black people, that is, white people painted to look black, were seen as all dancing, all singing figures of fun. Actually, this is why I never ever use the so-called jazz hands to avoid clapping and disturbing our autistic brothers and sisters. Um, I used this. And why? Because jazz hands comes directly from this black and white minstrel show and also from, it all started with Al Jolson, another white man painted black uh, in America. He used to sing, Mammy, how I love you, how I love you. Do you see what I mean? But... The people who watched and laughed and presented entertainment awards to this programme would never have understood then the racism which underpinned the racial stereotypes that they portrayed. Now, back to my visitor. This woman was not a bad person, just inexperienced. She was not knowingly racist, just politically unaware. She was not unkind just ignorant in understanding and of the facts of the matter. And she was very fearful of difference and outsiders, people she wasn't used to. She was a good, kind, Christian woman. And she was my mother. So this is Black History Month and an opportunity for all people, black or white, to consider the damage and the sorrow inflicted upon our black siblings throughout history, up to and including the present day. But what we mustn't forget is that we must also celebrate, celebrate the wonderful diversity of persons and cultures that we've been blessed with experiencing both personally and nationally and especially in our church. I've heard people complaining that the migration of black people to this country is a recent phenomenon and caused by the numbers of people trying to get into the country by any means at their disposal. This is not true. 
To my knowledge, the first black people in this country, indeed just beyond Tyneside itself, were the soldiers who were recruited from North Africa by the Romans to serve on Hadrian's Wall. It's hardly yesterday, is it? In Tudor times, there were quite a number of freed slaves and servants. Some of them accompanied Catherine of Aragon, Henry VIII's first wife, to court when she married um, his brother. We also know of a black musician who's been painted uh, and his name, he, he was a musician at Henry's court and he was called John Blank. Now many people were not slaves but were servants who married local people and brought up their families in this country. And for more information on this, I would recommend David Olushoga's book, Black and British, A Short Essential History. In the 18th century, there was much social cachet in having black servants. But in the 19th century, black people began to make their mark on our white consciousness. People like Mother Mary Seacole, who not only volunteered as a nurse to go to the Crimean War, where she served long and hard, but she did it at her own expense. And Harriet Tubman, the American abolitionist and political activist, she was born into slavery, but she escaped and subsequently made some 13 missions back to rescue approximately 70 enslaved people. And using the network of anti-slavery activists and safe houses known as the Underground Railroad. In the 20th century, we see the most powerful of the civil rights movements, which had us all considering and learning about our role in colonialism criticising it and supporting every movement which challenged the continuing lack of rights for our black siblings. Led by people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, who started it all. I'm not going to list all the people that you can read about, because if you put black civil rights workers into Google, you will watch dozens of names roll up, gathering momentum into the avalanche of material which feeds into this Black History Month. The Windrush generation came to this country in the 1950s at the express wish of the British government to underpin the British workforce. And just look at how they have been treated recently by this government. But this is a sermon, it's not a lecture. And much of what we need to know is in the media. We just need the impetus to make us look and listen and learn. And that is what Black History Month is helping us to do. Not as an exercise in blaming, but to educate ourselves away from notions of fear and status and hierarchy and into equality and human rights, just as Jesus taught us. Afua Hirsch, the black journalist, has suggested that instead of trying to rip out and destroy references to the past, that we use what remains to explain our history to this generation and to future generations so that they never make the same mistakes. Jesus didn't have to preach on behalf of black people because equality under God was for him a given, particularly after he'd been taught a severe lesson by the Canaanite woman that he had not to direct his ministry solely to the Jews, but to all people, regardless of their colour, their nationality, their profession, 
or their gender. No one knows exactly what uh, colour of skin Jesus had and this is a good thing. It, it means that no one group can claim him for their own, except of course the Jews. I've never understood the anti-Semitism expressed by some Christians either, since Jesus, their leader and ours, was born a Jew, lived as an observant Jew and died a Jew. What he did preach on, however, was how there are no outsiders in God's economy. Black people have been treated as outsiders in Western countries throughout history. This should have ceased with Jesus because he made it clear that those who had been regarded as outsiders were in fact as much a part of his movement as the Jewish women and men who followed him during his ministry and were just as much their neighbour as anyone they knew. It's interesting that whenever Jesus wanted to demonstrate the inclusive nature of God's kingdom, and as examples to us of the proper Christian response to situations we encounter, he very frequently used those people who were outsiders to prove, the, prove his point. The outcast, psychiatrically disturbed individual, the Gerasene demoniac. Women, not just women of his own social group, but a Samaritan woman. The Canaanite woman who shouted at him and who wouldn't let him get away with ignoring her pleas for a cure for her daughter. The Roman centurion who demonstrated a faith greater than many of his followers. They were all foreigners. They were all outsiders. And today we have the good Samaritan. Now a quick recall for those who don't know. The Jews and the Samaritans were social and religious enemies. Jews believed that God was to be found in Jerusalem, while the centre of worship for Samaritans was Mount Gerizim. According to the Jews of the time, Samaritans were simply semi-pagans. They were wrong and they needed putting right, sometimes aggressively. The behaviour of the priest and the Levite passing by the poor man who'd been beaten up and left for dead is to us unthinkable but it was in keeping with the Jewish law regarding ritual purity. That is, touching somebody who even might be dead would compromise ritual purity and render the two unable to carry out their duties in the temple. But this, of course, puts ritual and rules above compassion and the moral law, which Jesus insisted upon. Jesus was trying to make a point. Who is my neighbour? Is it the same ethnic group as me? The same social status or income group as me? Is it the person who lives next door or sits next to me in church? Yes, but that's not all. Because even those with whom we have least in common are our neighbours. And worst and most scary of all, the people who are least like us and people who we would regard as enemies. These are our neighbours within Jesus's meaning. In other words, everyone we find in need and anyone, and this is very important, who it is within our power to be a neighbour to. It is about who it is that we must love and care for according to the rule of love, the kingdom of God on earth. 
Anyone who ever told you that being a Christian is easy, lied. In Jesus's parable, it was an enemy of the Jews, a Samaritan, who showed the greatest compassion and it didn't cross his mind. He didn't hesitate to do anything other than meet the needs of the moment. Those needs involved his enemy, who had become a real person, someone in need, all divisions wiped away. He laid his hands upon the victim to tend his wounds. Shocking. He manhandled him up onto his own animal. Outrageous. He then took him to an inn and took care of him. Unbelievable. And provided for his needs by paying the innkeeper to take over this role until he could return. Staggering. The point Jesus was trying to make to the lawyer who asked the question was that he considered the possibility that a semi-pagan foreigner, an outsider, might actually know more about the love of God than a devout Jew who was hidebound by rules and regulations. How many black people in our society are treated as though they do not know the rule of love which commands our attention as members of the Christian church? Why are so many white people frightened of people of a different colour? Most of them British people of colour. Too many times we hear people saying stupid, ignorant and hurtful things like, why don't you go back where you came from, to somebody who had been born in Birmingham or Manchester. It's generally ignorance and fear of the stranger. When people who are liable to come out with this nonsense work alongside people of colour, meet them in different settings or admire their musicality, the racist tendencies often melt away. Much like homophobic individuals on discovering that their brother or their niece are gay, suddenly have a different perspective on the subject. It doesn't always happen, but more often than not. The determined and intransigent racists and homophobes often have other psychological problems to deal with, usually associated with a sense of inadequacy. But that is their problem. But for us, here and now, in this Black History Month, we have a duty to educate ourselves. Not just with books and articles, though these can fill the gaps, but by communication in a spirit of Christian love and admitted ignorance, by asking our siblings of colour to share their experiences with us, to help us to understand what we all need to know in order to counter what we hear from other sources. There is no room for fear or discrimination or outsiders in the kingdom of God because that is what we are trying to attempt to build here and now. So until Northern Lights MCC is able to draw our black siblings into their rightful place, their rightful position here in front of you during Black History Month, I will just fill in. Because I'm not sure that as a white middle-class woman of a certain age, I have any right to be here. In our Northern Lights Church, 
We light a candle every week just before our time of prayer to remind ourselves that our denomination of the Metropolitan Community Church was set up in the 1980s in response to the exclusion of some people from the support of Christian churches. We believe that the love of Jesus extends to everyone. Therefore, our remit is also unlimited. But we particularly remember every week those living with HIV and AIDS, those who have lost loved ones due to AIDS, those who search for ways to cure this disease, and the leaders in countries around the world who make decisions about the availability of treatment. So as we come to our time of prayer, I'm lighting the AIDS candle. The AIDS candle reminds us every week that the love of Jesus is unconditional and extends equally to everyone. The love of Jesus is for every one of us, whether we are HIV positive or have underlying health conditions or are vulnerable or think of ourselves as young and healthy or think of ourselves as invincible. The love of Jesus is for every one of us, whether we think of ourselves as trans, bisexual, lesbian, gay, straight, or have our own personal thoughts about sexuality. The love of Jesus is for every one of us, whether we are unemployed, underemployed, overemployed, self-employed, furloughed, retired, caring, studying, confined, detained, asylum-seeking, or taking a break. The love of Jesus is for every one of us, whether we are black, white, Asian, or call ourselves something else, or refuse to be labelled. The love of Jesus is for everyone. I now invite everyone to join me in some prayers of intercession. Creator God, we thank you for your love for all of us in all our diversity of weaknesses and strengths, in our diversity of needs and capacity to respond to the needs of others. Help us to help each other, Lord, each other's cross to bear. We bring before you those in pain, whether pain of body, mind or spirit, and whatever the source of the pain. We pray that the sheer numbers of those suffering around the world do not numb our sensitivity and our drive to prioritise the care of the sufferers and the search for ways to ease, prevent and eliminate the causes of the suffering. We pray before you those in pain who are known to us, whether it is pain of body, mind or spirit. We pray for those whose circumstances have been made known to Pastor Ronnie. We pray for our friend Ernie, who worshipped with us here for many years 
as Ernie faces life without his partner, Jeffrey, whose funeral took place this week. We pray for those whose pain is known to us personally, whether a colleague, a friend or a family member. We pray for those who continue to make personal sacrifices in the service of those who are ill, whether in hospitals, care homes or in the community. We pray for the government and all those who make decisions about the health and well-being of all of us. Decisions about the provision of support for those in poverty. Decisions about asylum. Decisions about protection from injustice, bigotry, discrimination and dishonesty. We ask for your continued blessing on the leaders of your churches around the world including Cecilia and those who guide the Federation of Metropolitan Community Churches. We pray for our pastor, Ronnie, and those who contribute to ensuring that our Northern Lights Church continues to offer worship and pastoral support during these difficult times. We pray for all our congregation for everyone involved in Rainbow Home and for individuals associated with our church whose difficulties are known to us personally. We pray for those closest to us. We bring before you their concerns and their fears. And finally, we pray for ourselves. We bring before you our concerns and our fears. Creator God, King of heaven and earth, we bring to you the prayers of Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church and the individual prayers of each one of us, as you have invited us to do. And we now accept your invitation to offer as our own prayer the prayer which unites Christians around the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Let us say together the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about what we do, you can find us on social media or visit our website, northernlightsmcc.org.uk.